0: on April 3rd, around 7 a.m. We received an unimaginable call that my parents had been in a car accident. And it was bad. Both in critical condition in the ICU on life support. The instant pit created in your stomach in those moments multiplied by being a plane away is something that only Jesus can bring peace. At this time, I didn't even fully understand how bad it was, but I watched in awe as the community and body around my family rallied in prayer. Over the next 24 hours, we saw just how covered in protection my parents were from the start. God had never left them. My parents had been taken to different hospitals. A curious choice that, as we understand it, was made because my mom appeared to be in worse condition. While they knew my dad was in bad shape, they didn't know at this time that he had incredible internal injuries. They sent my mom to the better hospital. After my dad's first scans... They learned that he had an aortic tear and needed to be rushed to heart surgery if he wanted to survive the next hour. There's only one difference between the two hospitals that my parents were sent to, and that was heart surgery. Had my dad gone with my mom, he wouldn't have survived the night. He wouldn't have been alive at the time we received the call 12 hours later to share with our family in Christ that we needed prayer. God had never left them. Over the last two months, my parents have had a recovery that has been marveled by medical professionals. Speechless at my dad's charts, the timing, and then looking at the man in front of them, who in two months is back to 100% a neurologist calling my mom's progress to a recovery from a traumatic brain injury miraculous. Praise God, leaving his lips mid-appointment. I just want to thank each of you that prayed for my family. We felt peace and immense love. The first verses of Joshua were heavily placed on my heart these last two months. In the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength, courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God is with you every step you take.
1: How good is that? (laughs) We had, um, yeah, firstly, thank you for praying. We had some other cool things happen as well. Um, you know, through this time, um, miracle on miracle, the, the person who actually hit her parents, they were T-boned, um, complete mutual blind spot, nobody's fault, um, but they were a Christian and turns out that they were praying for the family when they were getting put into the, the ambulance straight away. Like, that's crazy. And then, um, and then Ali's sister-in-law, my sister, sister-in-law, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Um, she didn't have a faith at all. It was their wedding week. They were supposed to all be flying to Mexico, and the night before, we were with Zane and Tiffany, and we were sharing about how Ali's family didn't really have a relationship with God. weren't Went Christians and it was on our heart and Ellie was supposed to be flying to Mexico that week for the wedding well needless to say that got cancelled and it was just incredible to see her the week of her wedding go through that suffering and I just honestly had no idea what to say so I just shared the gospel with her she hadn't heard it before um, she was complete atheist pretty much um and a week later, she gave her life to the Lord. crazy is that? <laughs> so, yeah, we are so grateful for you guys. This is just a huge testimony of God's goodness, and uh, and the body coming together. So, thank you.
2: On that morning, I remember Dave. Uh, calling me, I talked to him on, on the phone just briefly. And just to give context, um, they could correct me if this is wrong, but I think that the percentage likelihood that his that, that her father was going to die was really, really high. Maybe, I don't know. I don't want a percentage on it. Maybe 90, 95%. And um, their family got to... Experience the the working hand of God, and I don't have an answer of why like God does one thing and doesn't always do another, but I can stand in gratitude when God when God heals life and He brings life to him, and I'm just thankful that God brings life. And on this Pentecost Sunday, I just felt like. What a great time just to celebrate the work of the Spirit. And um, I'm just going to pray. God, I just, uh, I thank you, Lord, um, for the healing and the working that you do, God, um, even for Dave and Allie's family. And I just pray for the rest of Allie's family that there would just be a complete turning to you, Jesus. That there would be a total encounter and continued encounter with you that people would um, know the name of Jesus because of this story. And that uh, I, I, I even just pray that you, that you would give them a, the ability and the opportunity to share this story of your goodness over and over and over, that people, that many would be able to come and to uh, know you through their lives and testimony, God. And Lord, we just come to you on this day uh, where we remember the working of the Spirit um, and we ask you, God, to awaken in us a a uh, a fire and a desire and a passion to be those who carry your presence everywhere we go. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Man, how awesome is that? That is uh that is amazing. Thank you guys for sharing. And I just uh I don't know. I I think that like sometimes as a pastor you get focused on doing things preparing for messages, preparing for um house church or discipleship things you're doing. And I'm and I'm and we're faithful to do all those things. But at the end of the day, People's lives are going to change and people are going to know Jesus. It's only God who does that work. And all of my strength and effort is like dust compared to that. I mean, I don't know what else to say that. That's, that's the message of Pentecost, is that, and it is Pentecost Sunday, we, we try to um, follow the calendar a little bit as a church, and... I just think this is a message that it's the Spirit of God that does His work. Amen? Um, I want to talk a couple, uh, really quick announcement before I jump into the message. How many of you have heard us talk about the shepherding groups thus far? You've seen an email, a text, an announcement, a smoke signal. Um, I, uh, this, this summer, we have just finished a season of house church. And so, for us, we start... House Church, at the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday, we cover the stories of Jesus. We do this every year. We cover the stories of Jesus up leading up to Easter so that we can, as a community with our kids in our, um, in our homes and in our sermons, tell the, sh- the fundamental story of Jesus every year. And that leads us up to Easter. And, and then from Easter to Pentecost, I'll talk about this, is it's 50 days and... And we talk about, we've been talking about what the life in the Spirit looks like. But through that time, we're in house church. When we shift to summer, we focus on smaller, discipleship oriented groups of around three people. And um, the goal is to go a little bit deeper into. into our lives with God, and so this summer, we have two focuses that we have, and these groups will last for eight weeks. You have to sign up to be a part of them, Um, so we do ask that you sign up. Um, There's two focuses. The first focus that we have is as a community, one of the things that we really value, one of the reasons we follow the calendar, and and, um, I wish I had a prayer journal with me, but one of the reasons we have our uh, prayer journal that goes through the scriptures of the Book of Common Prayer, Is that we really value helping people gain rhythms with God that will nourish their spiritual lives, and so we put together the journal. Andrew, if you could—I don't know if you could grab me one. If you, there's one in my briefcase actually. Yeah, and and we do that to, like I said, to help us gain rhythm. So on this, this. Okay, here you go. Thank you. Thank you, Eden. If you haven't grabbed one of these, you can grab one. We put, put them out once a quarter. And in them are daily scriptures that we read together as a community. And so this summer, the first focus that we're going to have in these groups is to help develop the practice of praying and reading as a daily part of life. The second thing that we want to do is that we want to help, uh, we want to empower our community to be able to care for and to speak life into each other. That's why we're calling them shepherd groups, because not only does God want you to cultivate rhythms that nourish your own spiritual life, but he also wants you to speak into and to draw out of the lives of others. And so this is going to look really, it's going to look really simple this summer. The way it will work is that uh, we're going to ask people that are part of these groups to read through the scriptures that our church is reading through daily, and to send a one-minute video to the group five days a week of what God is speaking to you in his word as you're reading. And then, in addition to that, we're going to gather those groups together once a week so that they can ask questions of each other um, in a repetitive way to call each other more fully into who God has called us to be. And so it's, first of all, focused on developing these spiritual rhythms, and second of all, focused on you speaking life into others. Because we aren't just supposed to take responsibility for our own spiritual nourishment. We're supposed to take the responsibility to speak into the lives of others. So I'm I'm saying this. We have a break this week. There's no house church, nothing that happens this week. But the next week, we will be starting these groups out. And so we need you, in order to be able to put these groups together... This is sort of like the last Sunday that we need people to be able to sign up. So go and sign up, um, and normally, like it, like always, there's a flurry of sign-ups at the last opportunity. So um, this is Pentecost Sunday, and this marks the end of a calendar focus for us, as I mentioned. And I'm going to read to you the scripture that, that Russell read so, read so eloquently to us. I'm just messing with you. Um, see if I can do better, <laughs> I challenge you to a read off. Um, all right, a bit of a long verse and then, but we'll, we'll be, I won't reread it after the first time. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in his own language being spoken. Pause. Turns out that in the ancient Near Eastern world, they don't have Duolingo for everybody to be able to learn each other's language so this actually would have been extremely shocking if you showed up to Jerusalem and heard your own language. Um, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants and Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Glad I don't have to read it again to you publicly now. Um, But I want to focus us on... Verse 2, and we'll come back to this, but here's what verse 2 says. It says, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were sitting. Everybody say suddenly. So that's a, that's a thought we're going to hang on to. Um, but I want to back up to Acts 1, and I want us to read how the followers of Jesus got here And how they responded to what Jesus said in Acts 2. In Acts 1 verses 4 through 8 it says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to him, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto to the ends of the earth. All right, so I'm going to focus us on verse 4. It says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but Wait. For the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. Everybody say, wait. So, two words that I want to frame our thinking and our thought this morning is the word suddenly and the word wait. The word suddenly and the word wait. Um, this, more, this weekend is also uh, Shavuot. I think is how you pronounce it in Hebrew, um, or a festival of weeks in, in, in English. And this is, uh, this like coincides with Pentecost. And the reason it coincides with Pentecost is that Passover, the, you know, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection happened at around Passover. And there were, there's a 50 day separation with those things. And, and same with uh, Easter and Pentecost. And I, I think uh, I've mentioned to you that I have a a Jewish business mentor who's um, uh, an orthodox Jewish rabbi, and so I called him this week to pick his brain about the festival and it's por- It's important to know that like in the with the three main festivals of Israel they have one element of the festival that's something spiritual, something specifically spiritual that's highlighted in Scripture, and they have another element of the festival that element of the festival that relates to a particular season or time of the earth, and the the uh, festival of weeks begins. It's like the beginning of the wheat harvest, and so the way that the harvest would work for Israel is during the time of Passover they would generally start seeing the very first fruits of barley. And barley was kind of, it was the food that eventually in the ancient world, they would feed to animals. It's the food that they would make things like porridge with. It was, it was sort of a poorer grain, um, either for those with, with less money or for sim- simpler meals. And But when they came to the Festival of Weeks, It was the beginning time of harvest for wheat. And they would actually bring in wheat sacrifices in the temple of the Lord. And wheat is what you made bread with. It's what you prepared like a meal that you were being thoughtful with. Um, it's, It's interesting because we kind of have a lack of awareness of how significant it is in the ancient world To see the harvest come out of the ground and go, God, thank you. You brought for us another day of food. I have uh, friends who live in Montana who have been farmers for generations. And my buddy would tell me about the times that as a farmer, like the harvest didn't come in the way they expected it to And their whole family would be praying, believing that God would come through in some way. I don't know if you know this, but we're kind of at the precipice of a potential wheat crisis in the world. It's kind of interesting timing. Um, Ukraine is probably one of the top six or seven producers of wheat in the world. And outside of China, India is actually the largest producer of wheat. And, and I think Russia is one of the one of the largest well, and so there's many nations, actually, especially on the African continent. there are leaders concerned that there will be mass famine because India decided that they were likely going to um, not export as much wheat, and Ukraine is not able to export wheat and it's we live in a time where we don't think about we don't think about whether we might have food, and so there's an element of this timing in the in the festival that says god you're the one who provides for us you're the one who sends the rain, you're the one who allows the seed to come out of the ground. You think about how much of a miracle it is that like w- when a farmer hold something i heard i heard a pastor years ago give this um analogy that when a, a farmer can sell their seed it's a it's an asset you can eat it um but they um when they put it in the ground they had something and now they have nothing and the the phraseology that the pastor used was there's a farmer, like they put this thing in the ground that they used to could depend on. And now they have to depend on God. And so they just are faithful, 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 faithful. And eventually, fruit comes out of the ground. And they see the fruitfulness of God. But we cannot see, like we, we, we have this, we live in a time of certainty where we don't recognize the level of trust that this is, that it requires. And there's a story, I started looking up wheat in the scripture to find out like other times where the Bible talks about wheat. There's a story at the beginning of 1 Samuel where God raises up this boy Samuel to speak his words. In fact, the Bible says that none of his words fell to the ground. And he's being raised up in the house of Eli, who's the current prophet. And And Samuel, God gives a word to Samuel that he's going to remove his house from their position um, for the people of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Israelites are going to have to go to war against the Philistines. And so they... They decide, they choose to go to battle, and they choose to bring up the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. They choose to bring this up, and as soon as they bring this up, like, all of Israel is like, starts cheering, and like, there's this incredible noise to the fact that it, to the level that it terrified the Philistines, because they're like, well, God's on our side. We're going to be victorious. And they actually end up losing the battle, and they lose the ark because they, they felt like that if they just claimed that God was on their side um, and did whatever they wanted to do, that they were going to be able to win the victory. And they lost the Ark of the Covenant. It's like this huge, humbling moment for the nation of Israel. And what happened was, while the ark was there, the Philistines ex- started experiencing all of this negative stuff. And so they come to the realization that it's because they stole this this thing. And in chapter six, they decide that they actually need to give glory to the God of Israel. And so they built, they put all these like sacrifices of gold and they build this cart and they decide that they're gonna send they're gonna attach two cows to this thing and just let it run. And if it goes back to Israel, they're like, well, surely that was the reason. And so sure enough, this, they hook this, the Ark of the Covenant, which carrying the presence of God, they hook it up to a cart. They put two um, cows hooked to this cart. And these cows just start walking towards this area called Beth Shemesh, which was the bordering region of the area of Philistine and, um, and Israel. And I want to read to you. This, this, uh, this verse and just let it stand out to you. This is in verse 13. It says, Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat. Okay, so this is about the same time. In the valley, when they looked up, they saw the ark and rejoiced at the sight. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up wood of the cart and sacrificed cows as burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on a large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. So picture this in your mind. Around the time of the festival of weeks, while they're harvesting the wheat and remembering the faithfulness of God, the presence of God in the ark led by no man enters back into the land of Israel. And people begin to rejoice. And I think the picture here is that God gives his presence freely. There's nothing that we can do to acquire it. There's no victory we can have to win it or defend it. We must only wait for God to bring victory, and eventually we'll see him act. The second thing about this festival that's important is the giving of the Torah. So it's the moment of the year that Israel remembers the Torah. They remember that God gave them the Torah. And so I had this conversation with my mentor whose name is Shmuel. So you can't get any more Jewish name than that. Shmuel Ganevish. And, uh, and I, I was talking to Shmuel and I said, what, what's going on in your mind as a Jew, when you're coming to this festival. And he said, you know, I can tell you the one thing that's on my mind is I'm remembering God's promise to give, God's covenant to give his word to his people. And he said, I'm asking God, I'm praying and asking God to deepen my love for his word, for, for Torah. And and so when you think about what's happening at Pentecost, all those, all those countries that Russell so eloquently read for us, <laughs> just messing with you. Um, all of those people were there because they were all coming um, from all over the world for this time so that, they could, so that they could devote their lives and, and to remember, like, God speaks by his word. And I want to cherish it. And I want to have a deeper knowledge of it. And I, have an, I want to have appreciation of it. So they, they go there waiting for this moment. So I want you to think about how perfect God's timing is. When Jesus has died and resurrected, there were all these Jews that would have been in Jerusalem for Passover. And when the Spirit is poured out, there would have been all these Jews from all the ends of the earth, like there, praying and asking God, help us to know your words better. Help us to know your voice better. Help us to be more deep in, your, in our covenant with you. So, so that's the picture. When we see spirit fire coming down, when we hear Peter preaching, it's a whole bunch of, of Hebrews from all over the world asking God to reveal himself to them. Isn't that amazing? See, God gave... Torah in the wilderness to a man waiting on him and to a people who were forced to wait on him. But the generation that didn't, that wasn't ready to wait on him, they didn't get to go into the promised land. The thing that God asks us to do is that he asks us to wait on him. Like there's a theme in scripture that God is looking to make covenant with those who will wait on, listen to, and obey his voice. Amen? So when Jesus calls the disciples in Acts 1, he calls them to go back and wait on the baptism of the Spirit. And he tells them that they will be baptized with the Spirit. And they will receive power to be a witness. Now I want to pause and think about this for a moment. How many of you... I, I hate even bringing this up. But how many of you have been watching this Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial? <laughs> I feel like our nation is transfixed by this, this nonsense. But um, when people go to trial to be a witness they go testifying to what? What they have seen, right? And so it's one of the things that makes Jesus telling, giving this command very strange. Like, these are people who left everything they had to follow Jesus. They spent three years with him. He equipped them. He trained them. He discipled them. He taught them. They were, they were with him, highs and lows. He, uh, They watched him die and resurrect. And so it seems like they're fairly equipped to be a witness to what he did, right? And yet he says, you need to receive power to be my witnesses. Because there's a difference, there's a difference between for being equipped by God to do something and being anointed by God to do something. Like you, you may have all the training. You may have all the learning. You may feel like, you're like, oh, I'm ready to do whatever it is. Maybe like Israel standing on the battle with the ark behind them thinking, God's for us, we can win this battle. But there's a difference in being equipped And the spirit coming on you and anointing you for something. And like we're dependent. Like David was prepared as a king. Was prepared by caring for sheep. And then Samuel came to his house to anoint him as king. And it took, even though Samuel poured the oil on him. All this happened. It took 15 years for him to step onto the throne. Like, Moses, actually, on the opposite end, he felt like he wasn't equipped enough, but it didn't matter because God had anointed him to do what he was called to do. I, I titled a message this morning, and I, I meant to mention this to you earlier. I rarely care or mention titles, but I titled the message, Stubborn Spirit People. Because what I think that God is looking for is people who are so stubborn about letting God be the one who leads them forward into his fulfillment. He is looking for people who don't, aren't too enamored with their own gifting, with their own equipping, with whether they're ready, whether it's time. You know. He's looking for people who are stubbornly willing to wait on God to make whatever it is happen. Like I want to be stubborn. I want to be I don't care how ready I feel like I am to do something like I am to go forward. I want my cue I want my cue to be that God is going to be leading me forward. Like especially in our sort of circles, we can contrive a lot of like emotional energy about God being on our side and run out into battles that we lose. God is looking for people who are willing to like wait on his voice and obey. Amen. So, okay, I'm going to read to you the other reading from this morning, we follow the revised uh, lectionary, if you ever new revised lectionary, if you ever want to follow it, like during seasons like this, we, we follow it, we don't follow it throughout the year. But I'm going to write, uh, read it to you. It's Genesis 11, 1 through 9. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found plain near Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used the brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, as one people... Speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they will plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there was, there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered over the face, scattered them over the face of the earth. Years ago, I heard. Uh, Bill Johnson make a contrast between Babel and Pentecost. At, at Babel, God divided the speech and tongues of men, and at Pentecost, God gave them divided tongues. At Babel, um, you have all these nations gathered trying to build something to the heavens. And at Pentecost, like God is coming down. To meet man on earth. And in Babel, it's about man's strength. And at Pentecost, it's about the gift of God. But I want to make note of something. It says, verse 4, it says, They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heavens, so that we make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. If if you want to make a name for yourself, you build fastidiously. But if you want to make a name for God, you wait patiently. Like God hasn't asked us to be builders. He's asked us to be those who listen to him. Hear his voice, obey him, wait on him. I want to make another brief point about Babel. Their ability, think about this, their ability was so powerful together that Scripture account says, has God saying, nothing will be impossible for them. That's what Scripture says about God's thoughts about man together doing something. So I want us to think about this. The effectiveness of our plans does not validate the approach of our hearts. The effectiveness of your plans will not validate the approach of your hearts. Just because you can point to success, flourishing, all the things, doesn't validate that we've actually approached it as those humble waiting on God. God is looking for people who are willing to wait on Him. Here's, Here's the message this morning. When we wait patiently, God gives suddenly. When we wait patiently... God gives suddenly. When we wait patiently, God gives suddenly. Do we want to build for ourselves, or do we want to wait on God? Let's go back to Acts for just a moment. In Acts 1.14, it says that they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary, mother of Jesus, And with his brothers. And in Acts 2, at the beginning of Acts 2, it says that they were all together in one place. I, I want you to see there's two, like, really central keys to Jesus' call for them to wait on him. First of all, they waited faithfully in prayer, they waited faithfully in prayer. Waiting before God should not be defined by our worrying and our whining. How many of you have gotten in a season where it was hard and you had to wait a long time for something to shift? And I think a lot of times we allow those seasons to be defined by our worrying and our whining. And yet, those that were in Pentecost were found waiting In prayer. When the Spirit came, suddenly they were waiting in prayer. The second thing about their waiting is that they faithfully waited together. They did not wait alone in prayer, they waited together in prayer. They faithfully waited together. Like, look how powerful God says man can be at Babel together not even with him not not even with him man god is like they can do almost they can do almost anything and how much more powerful if we wait on god together like what acts 2 is telling us is that we are we are called to wait on god for His outpouring of His Spirit. The way we do that is we come in prayer and we come in prayer together. Like, if you're one of these people that thinks that alone in the secret place in your own personal relationship with God, you're completely sustained, you are not reading the same Bible I'm reading. God will not sustain you alone in the secret place in prayer. That will not alone sustain you. You have to have a relationship with God. But there's a reason that Jesus gave us an our father, not a my father. There's a reason that at Pentecost, they were all together in one place waiting on God. Are you with me? Or do you or maybe you're maybe you think it's it's dependent upon you? I don't I I sure hope it's not dependent upon me. <laughs> God is looking for people who are stubborn, like stubborn, stubborn, stubborn people that nothing in this earth will move you. Exactly. As Andrea is saying, like, you can have all this world, give me Jesus. Will we be that stubborn to wait on God, to wait on God alone? Because I I believe if we wait together on God alone, He will come suddenly. Now, one thing I tell you about God is He likes to surprise us. He likes to surprise us. It would be really nice if God were like a per- quarterly performance review at work. I see you're moving the ball along nicely. You're improving your projects thoroughly. We are on track. But God doesn't seem to do the quarterly performance review. That, I mean, He's speaking to me daily. He's affirming me daily, but what he calls on is us to wait on him and to trust in him. Hmm. God, God is always doing something. It's just about us discerning what he's up to.